Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Sunday, I want to talk some USC Trojan football. Trojan fans had some time to decompress. Of course, USC wins. The Pac-12 Championship finds out the full fate going to Dallas uh, to take on Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl on December 29th. We've had a chance to catch our breaths as well. We still had a bunch of questions rolling in, so we wanted to bring in the coach, Harvey Hyde, to talk about everything going on with this USC football team. He can answer the questions you have about the Trojans as they look forward to a tough battle in the Cotton Bowl. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call or text. The number is 424-254-9141. We like your texts. We like your voicemails. We like your emails, and we're going to get to all of them when we talk with the coach right now, follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. What is up, Coach? How you doing? Well, good morning, everyone. Yes, it's time to talk to Trojan football. Of course, we're not recapping a game, but it's a good time where we can answer questions and general questions about Trojan football, whatever uh, you want answered until we get up to the big bowl game on December the 29th. Uh, well, we'll lead into that, too, but... You know, this is a good time to just enjoy the holiday season and remember the Trojans were 11-2 and two and then move on. Yeah, and uh, USC practice starts this week, so there'll maybe be some news and stuff coming uh, in the couple weeks ahead leading up to the bowl games. We haven't seen them uh, since the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, we did hear from Coach Helton, Clay Helton, on uh, Selection Sunday a little bit, but that's about it. So uh, we'll, we'll get some more news and notes going forward when they start back to practice. And uh, if you want to go to the game, definitely go to sctickets.com. You want to fly down to Dallas, check out the Trojans, sctickets.com, Southern California tickets. They will take care of you. 1-800-888-7287. They got tickets for everything, too. But, of course, we know you like your Trojans. So if you do want to go to the game, make sure you check out sctickets.com, and they will help you out. Um, Hey, Coach, before we jump into uh, the questions, the Heisman Trophy was awarded yesterday. Uh, Stanford for the sixth time since 1982, had a runner-up at the Heisman Trophy, Bryce Love. But, of course, Baker Mayfield wins it going away. He was my number one vote, too. But I I had Bryce Love number two also uh, on my ballot. But um, any thoughts about the uh, Heisman Trophy? It wasn't all that dramatic. I think everyone kind of knew what was going to happen this year. Well, one thing for sure I want to say for all of you that are going to go to the playoff game in the Rose Bowl, you'll have a chance to watch the Heisman Trophy uh, winner. So yeah. I think that brings a lot more to the Rose Bowl game. And uh, also, uh, I think he deserved it. I think the kid uh, really played well. He's got a great story on how he walked on to Texas Tech and then left there. And well, when he started uh, in high school, as a little kid, 5'2", and 150 pounds, and worked his way up. Nobody really believed in him until he got a chance and went to Oklahoma and not only started uh, – Going to the playoffs and winning the Heisman Trophy uh, is something really admirable and something he'll never forget. Uh, all your life you're known as coach, Mr. President, Senator so-and-so, and now everyone looks at him as a Heisman Trophy winner, which will be part of his life forever. So 
a, a great achievement for the kid. Uh, the kid learned a lot of things on the way, but he was everybody's choice. Uh, probably, I don't know. I think he was the uh, biggest winner since 1980 or something as far yeah. as total first-place votes. Uh, and so that's tremendous, and I'm happy to see him win it. And uh, Oklahoma is sort of like USC. Oh, what I mean, uh, they've got a quarterback that can play, and USC's got a quarterback that, that can play. And remember, folks, those two guys touch the ball every single play. So congratulations to him. Yeah, and uh, you have 5'10 coming out, and uh, we'll see. that. So some people have him ranked very, really high uh, for the NFL draft. Some people don't. Um, so I think his name is going to come up a lot with like a Josh, Rose, Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold depending on if those guys come out and make themselves eligible for the draft. So Baker Mayfield's name, if you're a USC fan, could get involved and could mean something. And, of course, former you know Heisman Trophy winners, uh, Reggie Bush was actually, we got to run into him. I didn't know. Keeley, Yor, and Shotgun Spratling were at the uh, Helix High game. Uh, they were covering uh, you know the, the high school playoffs. And Keeley's got a, a one-on-one interview with Reggie Bush that we put up, up on uscfootball.com about him, you know, would love to be back and everything. So, We've kind of done a little Twitter campaign, Coach. Like, I don't know what the hashtag is, like Free Reggie, Free Bush, you know, Free Reggie Bush. I don't know, something like that. But people are, a lot of people are, you know, wanting USC to put his number back up and, uh, you know, push to get the Heisman reinstated, all that kind of fun stuff. There's some people, Coach, that don't want him around, but there's, I think that's the minority. There's people that are like, no, no, it's terrible. But a lot, a lot of people would love to see Reggie Bush back at USC in some capacity. Well, I agree 100%. Uh, you've, heard, you've heard me talk about that before. I would, I would have never sent my Heisman Trophy back. Were you kidding me? I said, if you come in my house, I'll have you arrested for uh, breaking and entering. Uh, I think that was ridiculous. I think it, uh, yes, very unfortunate, everything that came about from uh, the investigation, but his uh, investigation was far less than a lot of infractions that have gone on since that period of time. And and I'll tell you, if they were smart, they were. Here he is at Helix High School where they have one of the top defensive backs in the country. He's standing on the sideline, and uh, he can be very influential on where that kid went to school. I mean, uh, why wouldn't you welcome his, him? player I ever talk to or you talk about uh, or on your recruiting shows is, oh, man, I've, I've always, always recognized USC, but I love Reggie Bush when he played there and so on, but he's not part of the university anymore. I'm not sure if they allow him on campus. I don't know. That was all of the past regime that I didn't agree with a lot, uh, a lot of things that happened during that period of time. But, yes, uh, and, and, you know, it's not going to be easily forgotten by him. I mean, the way they, uh, you know, a good thing that they couldn't execute him or something. It really, the way he was thrown off campus and send your trophy back and do this and do that, you know, don't get me wrong. He did, they were wrong on what happened, and USC was very unfortunate on the sanctions they got from it, but that was crazy too. Crazy sanctions, which USC never fought, and said, wait a minute, guys, you've gone a little bit too far here. This is ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, I don't think it'll ever be completely forgot, and in his mind, I wouldn't ever forget the way I was treated there. But... I think he'd welcome going back to USC and uh, be on campus. And there's always going to be those ones that blame him. And there's always going to be those ones that say, you know, we don't ever want him back. But they all forget what he did for USC on the football field and what he did for the 
revenue and what he did for the university and exposure, they forget all of that and the name rights. But uh, everyone's uh, entitled to their opinion. But I'm one to say he was one of the greatest players to ever play at USC and to be treated the way he was, not only by the NCAA, but the way that USC really never supported him in some of the sanctions that were given to the university and to him directly. I agree with you there, Coach. Um, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think there's going to be a campaign, and uh, if Lin Swan wants to do anything to put that number five back up there uh, and and you know be able to talk about him, the fact that USC is not allowed to talk about him ever because of what happened just seems ridiculous. So, uh, not seems ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So well, we'll, well, see. we'll who see. Who is that that said they can't talk about the him? The NCAA. Yeah, the NCAA basically said uh, well, they have to. I'd start talking about him and saying you can't talk about your commissioner. Yeah. You can't talk about the LC- NCAA. When you quit talking about him, we'll quit talking about whoever you know you want us to, and you too. Well, I mean, wait a minute, guys. Don't tell us to not talk about somebody that's part of our university and played football for us, please. Who do you think you are? I mean, you got to fire back at some of these bozos. Yeah. Okay. That's what a lot of USC fans want US- USC to do: fire back, which they really haven't done. Um, all right, well, let's jump into some of these questions. We have a voicemail starting things off. Coach, here you go. Hello, Ryan. Coach Hyde, this is Ed Duncan up in the Hyde Desert. I'd like to wish you both a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and thank you for allowing us to call in. I wanted to ask a question. Uh, USC went 11-2, and that's very hard to do, especially with one of the toughest schedules in football. Yet we saw so many mental errors. Uh, we saw such suspect play calling on offense and defense. And uh, I'm just wondering, where do we go from now? The team is 11-2. and two. That's very hard to do. But we know that this team has enough talent to play with anybody in the country. So I would just like to ask Coach Hyde, maybe he's got a suggestion where do you go from here? You can't continue year after year getting by with all the mental mistakes, uh, the Pac-12 referees, micro-referee USC for some reason. And uh, I would just like to know. And I want to congratulate the men of Troy and fight on. Wish everybody Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you. Well, that's very nice of you. And uh, thank you very much for being a part of our show. Well, you know, you always hear me say you, you go back and you uh, try to put bandages where all the bleeding is, and there's a reason for everything. There's a reason why you do well, and there's a reason why you don't do so well in some areas, and you've got to be able to go back and evaluate the goods and the bads. And I think you go back and you say somehow we're uh, getting too many illegal procedures, somehow we're not doing this right, we're lining up in the wrong formations, we're not communicating, we're not running the right routes, we've got two receivers in one area, we're doing this, we're doing that. And you go back and you evaluate why. Is it the players or is it the coaches or is it the terminology we're using or is we or are we lacking communication between the sideline and the playing field? And I think it's a combination of all. I think it's lack of concentration sometimes on the part of the players. Uh, I think because of that, sometimes it's caused because you're thinking about what you have to do rather than execute what you have to do, and you've given these players too much to think about. And, uh, again, uh, without the huddle, 
sometimes you uh, nine guys get to play and two guys don't, or maybe <laughs> in some situations it's different than that. But all it takes on offense is one person to make a mistake and the play doesn't work. On defense, a person can make a mistake and the play still can uh, work as far as making the play. But uh, I think that those things have to all be looked at. Is it uh, in the secondary breakdowns? So is it the players not paying attention to what the coverages are or not getting the call, not being a good enough player, or maybe they're not taught properly what they're supposed to do, the techniques. Maybe they're confused on their techniques. Maybe they don't understand what the coaches really want. Maybe they're not being prepared properly. There's uh, all these things you have to look at, and you have to correct them. But you obviously have, and I've said this all along, the best roster in the Pac-12, and obviously it proved out to be that way with the number of players that were selected on the, the Pac-12 all-conference team. So you have to look at every area like that that was good and what was not so good. And I think the play calling, uh, that is something that has to be examined and and has to be thoroughly understood. Is it the play calling? Is it the formations? Is it tendencies? Is it we don't have a package for short yardage? Uh, we don't have uh, a series? Uh, why is it we're not having what we call great rhythm on the offensive side of the ball? And why aren't we real good in short yardage situations? And why do these different things happen? And why did it take us so long to find out who the players were to get them on the field as far as in the receiver core, I mean, it took three or four games to figure out who the players were. How, why is that? Why do we have spring practice? Why do we have summer practice? Why do we have fall practice? To determine who the people are. And how many carries should a running back have? Should he carry it uh, five times, 20 times? If it's the best, one of the best running backs in the country, maybe he should touch the ball 30 times a game rather than 14 times a game when they got beat at Washington State. There's all these things you have to evaluate, including the tight end. And the, what do you want with the tight end? What's his purpose in your offense? Is he a receiver? Is he a blocker? Should we have maybe two running backs and a different type of formation to take advantage of what we're going to do with our players? Let's get our players on the field. Let's just don't say we have a tight end just because we have a tight end. Let's figure out what we're going to utilize that tight end for. Don't have a tight end. So there are all of these things you have to discover, you have to talk about, you have to investigate in order to get better because there's always a reason why certain things happen. And uh, sometimes it's one of the ones I mentioned or sometimes it's all of the things I mentioned. So uh, that's what I think they have to do. And sometimes you're too close to the program to really understand it and see it and uh, as a head football coach, it lies on one man's shoulder, and that's Coach Clay Helton, and he has to one. Sometimes it hurts to tell a coach you're not getting it done and I'm going to have to make a change. We're going a different direction because you become friends with these guys. But you got to do what you got to do in order to do the best thing for the football program. All right. Thanks for that one, Coach, and uh, thanks for the question, the voicemail. Let's get to a bunch of emails. First up, Tarek, what aspect of Ohio State concerns you the most? Well, I would say, first of all, let's start with the coaching staffs. Urban Meyer's staff has been through a lot of these battles before, okay? They've been together. 
they play big games every year. Not that USC hasn't played in big games every year, but Coach Clay Helton, this is his second, what I might call this year's big game. He won the Pac-12 championship, which was a big game. And he won the Rose Bowl last year, which was a big game. But Ohio State with Urban Myers, he's been a lot of big games. At Utah, when he beat Alabama. At Florida, where he won a national championship. Ohio State and all of that. So he knows probably a little bit, or let's say more experience in preparing for big games. Preparing for this type of game, which is a huge game. Because Ohio State is taking this game very serious. I know that Clay Helton is and USC is. They're ranked fourth. They barely missed the playoffs they feel they should have been in the playoffs and i'm sure they want to make a statement in this game last year's statement was we got beat 31 to nothing by clemson they had to live the whole off season with that that's not a good feeling to go through a whole off season uh, losing 31 to nothing and getting shut out and i'm sure the coaches is, is is telling his players about that because most of them were part of that team usc uh, was opposite uh, they had a tremendous victory in the rose bowl and uh, they had a great off season and enjoyed it maybe too much, but enjoyed it. And all their players had great preseason hype. So uh, that's one thing I'm very concerned with is the ability to prepare for this type of football game and uh, be ready to play and understand what it's all about. It's fun, but it's also work too. It's about the game. Yes, you, yet you still have to have uh, some enjoyment with your team because they certainly deserve the opportunity to to enjoy all the trip and have a steak down there and all the different things that you need to do. That concerns me. And then also what concerns me, too, is the uh, physical part of Ohio State on the offensive line and defensive line. And uh, these guys uh, have not played a team, I don't think, that is going to be man for man as strong as what Ohio State is physically in the trenches. So USC is going to have to be quick on defense. Uh, they're going to have to take their gaps and get their penetration and stop the plays before they get started uh, because Ohio State's got speedy receivers and a great running back and a very talented quarterback. So they're well-balanced. Uh, on the offensive side, physically, uh, their offensive line is going to face the, the biggest challenge they have the entire year against a very physical and aggressive, aggressive defensive front. So, again, they've got to be able to establish the run. This is some things that people don't think they can do against Ohio State in order to utilize their receivers against Ohio State. Ohio State's philosophy is going to be take the run away from USC, forcing the pass the ball. We're going to play tight man because we don't think they have the speed that we have in our secondary, and that's going to be their approach. Take away all the short plays, try to get to the quarterback, and uh, dominate the game up front. So, these are the things that concern me, and also the, what concerns me, too, is the special teams as far as making sure they get the punt return down where they understand what the punt return rules are, and also kick the ball through the end zone, please, and don't give people the ball on the 40-yard line, either by allowing their run back because their coverage has been terrible, and, they, and they'll get the ball on the 40-yard line. You can't do that week after week and be successful. So that's my concerns about the Ohio State-USC game, and we'll see what happens. We certainly will. Uh, Terry wrote in and said, Coach, two questions. First, what things would you discuss with the entire team in the big auditorium setting? And secondly, how did uh, how often did you attend uh, the position room? So I think he's talking about um, the, the meetings for the uh, 
position for the uh, yeah position uh, meetings and stuff? Well, first of all, uh, I, I attend every team meeting. I mean, I, I'm the one, I'm the I'm the speaker. Uh, there is nobody that misses the meetings either when I speak, including the trainers, the equipment guys. They're all part of a team. When I address the team, I want everybody to make sure they hear it from me and not from somebody else. Because the thing, uh, what happens is uh, people interpret things differently. So I make sure when I speak, the locker room knows what's going on, the equipment room knows what's going on, training room knows what's going on, all the GAs know what's going on. Of course, secretaries uh, do not have to be in this type of meeting. They handle other aspects of our program. And uh, I think it's... uh, I think it's something that uh, you communicate with your team so everybody's on the same page and understands when you're good, when you're bad, what you like, what you don't like, what our challenges are, and do we all understand. If there are any questions, let's ask these questions now so that you don't try to figure them out and you leave this room uh, not understanding what I want. When I say it's 11 o'clock, it's 11 o'clock bed check. And that means 11 o'clock, not 11.01. And the staff hears it, everybody hears it, or whatever. When I say I don't want anybody on your rooms or on your or in your rooms or on the floor, whatever it might be as far as we're talking right now about a bowl game or traveling on a team plane and how you appear and how you dress and how you act and how you meet people and what you say in interviews and how you represent the football program as well as the university. All these things have got to be understood not just by your coaches, but by your team. And I don't want my coaches telling it a different way. I want to tell them the way it is. I don't want it to, to soften it. I don't want them to make it tougher. I just want them to tell them exactly the way it is. I don't want threatening things. I just want when we have a meeting, we need to have a meeting. Then what was the other second half about that as far as the players or what was that? Or like how often would you go to like the position group meetings? Like- oh, specific meetings. Uh, I would go unannounced. I never wanted a coach to know when I went to a meeting because I wanted to know just exactly what was happening in that meeting and what he had planned. If you allow players to know or coaches to know that you're going to drop by, then that's going to be a good meeting. We all know that. It's going to be a good lecture. When you used to say you're going to be evaluated as a teacher uh, tomorrow at 9 o'clock, well, you did your lesson plan. Man, were you good that day. So uh, I don't want them to know when I'm going to sit in. I'll just walk in, and they'll see me sit down in the back. I don't want anybody to say, hi, coach, how are you? They know you're there. I just want to see what's being taught and the reaction, who's uh, sitting up in their desk or who's slouched over sleeping or not paying attention and and that type of stuff. I like people to know that we're in here for a purpose. We're not in here to uh, just sleep. Now, I'm not big on uh, meetings, uh, group meetings, as far as individual meetings with coaches. I am only for showing tape and a brief explanation of game planning, uh, evaluating your opponent. I'm for walking through it on the field. I would always say, why draw it on the board and then go back on the field and go over it again? Spend twice as much time on the field or walk through it, even if it's in a, a, a classroom or anything, explaining how you line up on this shoulder, shoulder, what we're doing, and recognize the formation. All of these different things where it becomes a part of habit, not looking at it at a board and then taking it outside and trying to think, what did he draw on the board? Oh, I, know, I remember what he drew. Okay, now I'm going to do that. 
I'd rather teach it once and review it more than to go over it on a board. So I think meetings should be short, brief, and to the point, yet strong, and get out of them. You don't want kids to start to drag or fall asleep or play with their damn cellular phones uh, and all of those type of things. But first of all, you turn your cellular phones off. And uh, I'm not big on these headsets either. I know everybody out there probably wears them when you're driving around and everything. But I'm not big on those headsets as far as walking around with your hoodie up and all that stuff. I'm not big on that. And uh, I know it's a very popular thing, but uh, it's uh, certain things. I would have bought sweatshirts for my team without hoodies, okay? Sweatshirts without hoodies, okay. Um, that's that's the coaching method of Coach Harvey Hyde. Uh, but interesting thoughts there of what, how Coach would run meetings. So thanks for that question. John in San Jose, he said, gentlemen, keep up the great work. My question is about T. Martin and what he should do for his career. Would it be better for him to stay at USC as the offensive coordinator with all the resources provided by USC, a talented roster, and an excellent recruiting base where he could possibly win a national title or move to a group of five school as their head coach with limited resources, less talented roster, a sub-500 record the previous year, but would build them into a consistent bowl contender before moving on to a Power 5 head coaching job. The latter would show him uh, what kind of coach he is. John in San Jose. What do you think, Coach? Well, John, uh, I don't know T. Martin personally. All I do is hear about T. Martin. I see what his work is on the field. I hear he's a pretty good recruiter. I think that's important. Uh, uh, because you win a national championship or because you're an All-American doesn't necessarily mean that means you're going to be a great coach. There's a lot of great coaches coaching right now. In fact, two that just got jobs that really weren't great players in college. There's been some great coaches that never even played football. So it's uh, it's it's a combination right now. I would think that T. Martin would want to stay at USC there's been a lot of controversy as far as play calling and this and that and a lot of rumors that he didn't have all the say. There was arguments going on as far as during the game and practice and game planning on what plays to run and so on. And I don't know if uh, Ty Helton, uh, Clay Helton's brother, was one of those that had a conflict or not. But Ty's gone. He's gone to Tennessee. T's there now, and I don't know who they're going to hire, but uh, if they don't hire a receiver coach and he goes to the quarterbacks and he'll still coach the receivers and you got to bring in a great quarterback coach that's my thinking so i i would think he'd want to strengthen his position at usc as far as not having that question mark on how great of a play caller he is and all of this and that that people that are intelligent about the game of football understand there are moments when uh, the offense at USC shorts out, okay? Just sort of disconnects from uh, the game. So that has to be corrected now as a head football coach, and if he came in as a head football coach and was told and understood at that time you are our, our, our poster person and you're going to be uh, accompanied by this coordinator and that coordinator and this part of the job, I certainly feel he's... Uh, got the image and the name to be able to do that. But if you're going to hire a coordinator because you hire a coordinator to be your head coach, and I don't think that's always the right thing to do. You know, you're 
all of a sudden a great coordinator, and then you think you're going to become a head coach, and you're not a great head coach. You still want to be a coordinator. I think that you can be a great coach. Dabo Sweeney at Clemson was never a coordinator, okay? But he was observed as a great leader in being able to put people around him, like great coaches and great players, to become a great head coach. So the doesn't mean because you're a great player. It doesn't mean you're a great play caller. It's, it's none of that. It's it's who has the leadership, who has the image, who is the type of person who could be a great player or a great head coach. I'm not saying T can be or can't be. I'm just saying he's got to know what his strengths are and weaknesses are. And people right now are looking in at T as far as what I'm looking at. He's supposed to be a great recruiter. And there's still a lot of question marks on the offensive side. Yeah, I would agree with you there, Coach. And the co- coaching carousel seems to have slowed down. My personal opinion would be, especially with the reports, are that Tyson Helton is moving on to Tennessee. Um, I think it would be best for T. Martin's career, the first part of what you said uh, about, uh, as far as the question goes, staying at USC and having more success next year. So if it's all his offense and there's not like two people – Sharing play calling duty, play calling duties. I think that would certainly help him. And then, uh, you know, if USC has more success, I, I think it's better if you're going to be, you know, a coordinator that's hired to have more than like two years' experience of being a coordinator too. So I think that would help him. Uh, I think it would all help him. So we'll see, kind of what happens. My my guess, I thought T. Martin wouldn't be around next year, but with Tyson Helton gone, it's it's looking a lot more like USC will retain him. And like Coach said, he's a he's a great recruiter and uh, certainly helps with that and uh yeah so we'll see thanks for that question we had a text message uh from trent he said i want to start by congratulating this usc team for not giving up the season they have battled a ton of injuries to key players on both sides of the ball they deserve to be ranked ranked a little higher but the ranking could be a motivating factor against ohio state with that being said if they are to lose against the buckeyes do you think underclassmen eligible for the draft stay one more year and get into the final four um, and he also says, if you could pick a different punt returner for the Trojans, who would you pick and why? Thanks for all your team does. Fight on from Trent. Well, uh, first of all, let's start with the punt returner, because that's something immediately that needs to happen. Right now, what I would do with the punt return situation, uh, if you haven't found a guy that can understand what the rules are and stuff back there. I just have somebody back there that just wants a fair catch it. That'd be Michael Pittman to me. Uh, Pittman's a tough kid. He's got good hands. I just put him back there, teach him which ones I, I don't care if you run the ball back. Just just catch the ball. Let's have field position. Let's don't let it roll to the one-yard line. Let's don't try to run backwards. Let's just do the things that are necessary to get our field position. If it's a short punt, run up and fair catch it. If it's a punt over your head, know where you are. Use your 10-yard rule. Know where you are when you're down on the 10-yard line or 15-yard line. Know where the ball is. Know where you are. Stay away from it. If you let it roll, keep everybody else away from it so they don't touch the ball. All the things that are necessary, that's what I'd do right now. Right now, that's what I'd do. Okay. All right. Now, as far as underclassmen and whether they win the game or lose the game, I look at there's only two players that are in question as far as coming out that are underclassmen, and that's Sam Darnold and Ronald Jones. 
I mean, I don't think anybody else uh, has the uh, right now voice or performance to come out. So I certainly don't want players to make mistakes and then be sorry for what they did, and a lot of players have done that. Ronald Jones, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, Ronald Jones, I would say, is coming out, and uh, you might as well get prepared for that. And I wouldn't blame him one bit. I think he should. All right? A lot of you are getting mad at me for saying that. I'm not encouraging him to do that. I'm just saying, what if he carried the ball 30 times a game the entire year? He'd be over 2,000 yards, okay? He'd probably been up for the Heisman Trophy, okay? So just look at it that way. Now, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold already knows what he's going to do, okay? Uh, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the coaches don't know. Why? Sam Darnold's not going to leave USC holding the bag without them knowing what he's going to do. I mean, yes, if he had a great game, yes, that would enhance his opportunity to be stronger and everybody would agree more. Yeah, he did the right thing. He, he went out. He should have. They beat Ohio State. But he's already been evaluated to a point before this game on his abilities, leadership, uh, release, all the things that they know about him, okay? And if you're going to leave, you uh, – my Randall Cunningham came to me and he told me what his thoughts were as far as coming back or leaving. He didn't want to leave us without having a future, without me having time to plan as far as who we're going to do, what we're going to do, should we go after this Patterson kid who's leaving uh, Mississippi? Should we go after him and bring him in right now? Michigan's recruiting him. He was one of the top, top one of the top four quarterbacks in the country, a top player in the country. Should we bring him in? He'd be immediately eligible for next year. I think USC has talked to the kid, but I don't think they're pursuing him. That's strong, but they got a plan. And what that plan is, I think I know, but I'm not going to mention it. So if he's staying, he's staying. And I think if he's leaving, he's leaving. But as a as a head football coach, you don't just say, well, after the game, just let us know what you're going to do. Hell, National Letter of Intense, December 20th, 22nd, we got to know what's going on so we can use it in recruiting also and all the things that are positive. If he's staying, man, he's staying. Yeah, but uh, right now, I don't know if he's staying or going. I'm not saying I know what he, I don't know what he's doing, but you better have a plan as a staff that if uh, and uh, know what's going on. Agree with you there, Coach. Uh, we had one from Tarek. Should the Pac-12 go to eight conference games? Should they go to eight conference games? I don't know. Our our commissioner says they're setting a trend of what everybody should be doing, playing nine games. And, and I think he said some other conferences are now going to nine games, okay? So I guess he's the forefounder of that and wants to take credit for it if it happens. I think it's hurt the Pac-12 a lot. I think his television contract has even hurt it more. As far as, you know, people playing on the time frame. Do your coaches throw out that innuendo all the time? Oh, yeah, that's what David Shaw said it the other day on national TV. I don't know if you had it, uh, what it had to do with the Heisman Trophy. I, I don't know how many of you got a chance to uh, 
See, love play uh, with our 7.30 kickoffs. I mean, really. Uh, that package is something that's ridiculous. And, Ryan, you've talked about it all the time, so I don't have to repeat it. But, uh, y'all, it'd be great that they could stay at eight games. It'd be great because now you get another victory. All the teams have an opportunity to go out and schedule Mercer and, uh, and St. Cloud and Harden-Simmons and some of these teams, but the Pac-12's got too much pride. The athletic directors have too much pride to do that. Yeah, I agree with you there, Coach. Um, all right, this is a little long from Greg. Greg Katz from high atop Signal Hill. He said, two plays stood out for me that were completely uncalled for by the Trojan defense. Showboating is not an option until the play is over, if allowed by the coach. He said, one, Hawkins' knockdown of the wide receiver screen that was determined to be a backward pass. He did not go for the ball. Uh, I don't think that was Hawkins. Wasn't that? Uh, no, it wasn't Hawkins. It was a Jana Harris, yeah. Plus, it yeah. was a catchable ball. The Stanford wide receiver went after the ball and took possession of it. At least he was paying attention. Hawkins was not. He, he means Harris, I guess. Uh, and Wusu's game-winning, quote-unquote, game-winning tackle of the running back on the goal line at fourth and one, he then left the pile and strutted his stuff. Hey, look at me. A fantastic grab. But the running back was not on the ground. His body was on top of another Stanford player. Fortunately for USC, the lousy Pac-12 refs called the play dead when, in fact, it was not. The running back continued to push himself over the player, and the ball did cross the goal line. So the fumble inside, so it was, uh, so the, the blind Pac-12 refs saved us on that play, but there were so many plays that they misread, like the love fumble inside the 10-yard line. Clearly a fumble, but called a tackle. Thoughts, Coach? And he said, by the way, 11-2, very good. Winning the Pac-12 championship game is better. Being the first South Division winner, even better. Winning the conference for the first time since 2008, mighty darn good. Fight on and beat the next team from Greg. Well, guess what? I agree with every single thing this caller said. Every single thing. So I, need, I don't even need to repeat it. Every single thing you said is exactly right on. Be a part of the game. Understand the game. Get on the ball whether... Uh, you you know it is or not. Why take a chance? Go for it. And he could have intercepted that pass if he'd have concentrated on the ball. He timed it right. He could have. And the same thing on the, on the touchdown with Love or whoever it was pushing himself in the end zone. I agree 100% with that call, too. USC was very fortunate. So with you, my caller, you should be doing the show. <laughs> nice. Greg, Greg will like that. Um, let's see. We got Paul in Vegas. He said, Coach, if you were running a, a running back, or I'm sorry, if you were recruiting a running back out of high school, would you go after the best runner and not worry about the other skills a good collegiate back must have? Can you coach pass blocking, ball security, pass catching, among other skills beyond natural running ability? That's from Paul in Vegas. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, yeah, I'd go after the, the athlete. Uh, you, I would go after the athlete that's a great running back that can run the football. That's a skill. Ball security, you can teach. Uh, as far as hands, you've got to have pretty good hands, uh, or you couldn't be able to hold the football. Uh, but uh, hands would be the second part of what I'd worry about. And probably the toughest thing to teach, honestly, eye-hand coordination. The first thing I would do is he'd play and do a lot of uh, ball handling and passing and dribbling a basketball with his left hand, all the different things. Catch, just learn to play catch. And also I'd have his eyes checked immediately to make sure he had 20-20 vision or whatever type of vision he has. But he may have never had his eyes checked, and maybe he doesn't see the football in 
until it's right on him. So there's a lot of things you could do with that. Pass blocking, I think, is for a back an easy thing to, to teach, especially if the back has courage. Uh, and, you know, you're blocking someone always that is bigger and stronger than you are in most cases, so it's the technique that you use and the way you explain to that back that if he's coming, let him come to you. Don't lunge at him. He has to go through you to get to the quarterback. If you lunge and miss, you've not accomplished your goal. If you cut him, he can reach up and tip the football or jump over you. You've got to learn you're almost like a shadow boxer. You stay in front of him, you stay down low, you keep your hips under you, and you shadow box and, and you and you sort of just stay in front of his numbers and be able to just stay in his way, basically. And I and I used to well I taught I, I coach a running back, so and uh, and at times, and and I used to say it's a lot of fun. And uh, you you if you cut down, the guy can jump. You stay up high on him, so they can't jump up. And when he does jump, that's when you shove, extend your arms and shove, and that's when he goes down. So uh, you know you, you there's a lot of ways of teaching these different techniques. But the first thing you want is an athlete. You can teach an athlete, coach an athlete, and if the guy's a great running back, the other things will come. We had one from Spencer, Coach. It was a text message. He said, hey, Ryan, great show. I have a question for Coach Hyde. Do you feel as though coaches' challenges have been all but forgotten? Referees in the NFL and every conference, especially our Pac-12 refs, seem to call reviews from the booth rather than follow the rule book, which allows for coaches, not officials upstairs, to challenge the ruling on the field if they don't agree with the call or spot. I feel like refs have taken challenges out of the game, and it's a simple rule that would address many of the endless delays in the game fight on from Spencer. And yeah, yeah most of uh, most uh, uh, reviews are, are coming from the officials and the, you know, rules upstairs, but you can, as a coach still, it's not like an official um, challenge, I guess, I guess it is, but you could, you could, it's basically, you're calling like a timeout, but it's not like the NFL where you get like two challenges. And if they both work, you get a third. So it's, it's definitely a different sort of rule. No, it is, and I think a coach should have a challenge. But, again, you know, that normally comes from your booth or from somewhere that someone really has had a chance to look at the review a couple times as the officials are going to see it. Uh, you, on the field, really have the poorest seat in the house. I'm just telling you, you have the poorest seat in the house as far as knowing what's really going on. So uh, you rely on the, in the press box for someone to say, Coach, that was the first down or coach he had he was in bounds or coach he didn't his knee was down but you don't want to waste a challenge but but then again if it's a definite call that you're going to win you want to take it uh, and you don't know what play it's going to be that makes that difference in that game so i would never i would always use my challenges i wouldn't save them for anything uh and uh and I have to really rely on the guy that's telling me that he knows what he's talking about. Because if he gave me a couple of wrong ones, I'd think about getting somebody else to do that. Uh, so it's very important that somebody immediately has a review thing that the officials are going to see. And he knows the rules and he knows what's going on. He might be a, a past official that I have up there that uh, they can help me with that in my own line, to my in my own press box upstairs that has a TV set that sees everything that they're going to see uh, before they before they challenge it or before the play goes on. And then again, I would know right then I'm challenging the play. 
Coach, we got one last one. We'll let you go. Uh, text message from Sean in Vegas. So he was. Ta- this is going back to the Notre Dame game. So I, I think this came originally from should USC make the playoff and all that kind of stuff. But he said one thing he concerned him about that game. I haven't heard anyone talk about how Clay Helton waved the white flag with 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter and pulled USC's offensive starters. It's the only reason Notre Dame didn't score 60. For a lifelong USC fan, it was the third most difficult game to watch between, behind 2016 Alabama and 2009 Stanford What's Your Deal game. Coach Harvey, have you ever been so dominated in a game, felt so helpless that you waved the white flag to the opposing coach in the beginning of the fourth quarter? If so, was the decision done to protect your players from injury and further embarrassment, or was it about self-preservation? Sh- uh, Sean in Vegas. Well, Sean, um, I don't remember the incident at Notre Dame, so I can't uh, answer what happened at Notre Dame. I really can't remember when you're saying that happened, uh, uh, if he pulled his starters when it was that way. Uh, So I'm sorry I can't answer it that side. Now, as far as I am concerned, uh, there are times when I've been beaten, and I hate to tell you this, uh, we were so bad on offense now, we won the game, but we were so bad on offense, and we were playing so great on defense. I wanted to pass a message on. Now, you guys are going to really – I was in junior college at this time, okay? And I'll tell you, we were playing San Bernardino Junior College, okay? I was at Pasadena City College. We were so bad on offense with turnovers and stuff that our defense would stop them. The team would punt, and I'd sent the punt team on the field. We punted on first down. Because I felt that, you think I'm kidding you, huh? I don't. So I want to crazy. pass a message on to my offense and my offensive coaches, hey, you aren't good enough to be on the field. So I tell the defense, get ready, but you're going right back on the field. So they punt the ball. And on first down, I sent the putt team in. Because we're going to turn it over. We're not We're not worth the damn anyway on offense. And I told them and the coaches and everybody else, so you didn't deserve to be on the field, okay? So there's ways of passing on messages. Now, I took a chance doing all that, but we won the game. We won the game, and our defense was just so dominating that, that I was able to do that. But uh, there's things you do at times when people think that you're crazy. And if you if you win, you're okay. If you lose, well... Get ready for the Sunday morning paper and second guessers, but but you know uh, you expect something out of your coaches and out of your players, and if you're embarrassing your program and embarrassing yourself, sometimes you do things. And I'm not saying at Notre Dame that happened. And I think this is is the same part of that question. I can't remember, but I was telling a story, but. Sometimes you just want you guys to know if you can't play any better than that, then you shouldn't be on the field. You're just terrible. And I remember we opened my first game at UNLV. We opened against BYU on national TV. And uh, hottest day of the year, I remember this. It was my first game. And BYU, you know the type of teams they had under Lavelle Edwards. They were unbelievable. Jim McMahon had just graduated. And uh, we opened the game, and we played them. And they had a young man named Steve Young at quarterback, okay? 
I had never heard of Steve Young. Nobody had heard of Steve Young. And wow, they'd run quarterback draws. They do this. They do that. And we got beat twenty-seven to nothing. And I told Taff, I, I just, I was so embarrassed. It was our first game there, sellout house, because people really came out to watch BYU, not us, the way we played. And uh, and I went back, and we had ten days between. Uh, our next game because we were the opening game of the college football season. And I said, hey, there's nobody on this football team that has their position secure or any coaches either. And, you know, maybe it's the wrong thing to say. I said, I've never been shut out like that or embarrassed like that. And I just said it. And I was. And uh, that's when I discovered Randall Cunningham. Randall was uh, red shirty. And I'm sorry I had to burn a redshirt year. But after 10 days, he was the best quarterback. He was better than the other two guys. Randall didn't, you know, was just hanging around. He didn't have an attitude. But he knew he was better than the other guys. And we didn't want to let him go. We wanted to use some other players. And after 10 days, Randall started against New Mexico. And threw for something like 450 yards or something. Yeah. So there's sometimes... You do things, and uh, they work or they don't work. And in some situations, you don't know why Coach helped pull those guys out of the game. He might have pulled them out but say, you ain't worth a damn. So why should you be out there? So, you know, there's certain things you do sometimes that you don't explain to the media. You don't explain to anybody but the team later on in meetings when you talk heart-to-heart to them. So I hope I answered your questions without wandering around too much. Yeah, Coach. Well, that's, that's your style. Uh, punting on first down, man. That's a, that's a really interesting one. I haven't heard that one before. So, Well, hey, good stuff. Um, they have 50 minutes. Not too bad. We still we, Actually, still there's more questions, but we'll, uh, we'll save some of these for next week too. And uh, people, I'm sure you'll keep sending in your questions for the coach. We do appreciate that. And, Coach, I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you very much. And for everyone out there, happy holidays. Enjoy it. Make those calls. I make three or four calls a day to people, past players, families, uh, uh, people that maybe don't get a lot of calls. And and I think it's great that uh, you remember people, okay? And if if you have some problems or family problems with people you haven't spoken to for a while, uh, why don't you try to put them back in the starting lineup, okay? Put them back in the huddle because it's well worth it, okay? All right, that's my message. Nice. Uh, sage advice from the coach. Uh, all right, well, that's Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow me at Inside Troy. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. 
Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 